Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Well, welcome to this week's episode of Aging Fearlessly. This is Karen Sander, and today I have an, a new guest for you, a fellow called Peter Anthony. Now, Peter, he helps people to discover their best and then make their best better. He's a student and a teacher of positive psychology. I like that he's still a student. And he helps people to understand how to use evidence-based approaches to improve themselves, their relationships, and their workplaces. I think that you'd agree that we all need help in those areas. He's taught these approaches since 1988 in the corporate world, in schools and even hospitals. And we've called the theme today, Flourishing Fearlessly, which I think is a really, really fantastic name for this um, this talk today with Peter. So welcome, Peter. G'day, Karen. So tell us a little bit about positive psychology. Well, positive psychology began back in about 1998 when a group of psychologists led by a man called Martin Seligman, who then was the head of the American Psychological Association, said that, you know what, psychology has spent a lot of years, like the last 100 years, looking at things like bipolar disorder and depression and so forth. And now it's time to look at um, the psychology of wellness, of the psychology of flourishing, and to take healthy people like you and I and help us um, optimally perform and flourish for ourselves, for our families, in our relationships and for the wider community. So it's an education that people really need into themselves. It is an education, and I think we'd all, we all would like to find ways of, of feeling better. And what I love about positive psychology is it's all evidence-based. I mean, you can go to the newsagents or the bookshops and find magazine articles or books written by Olympic athletes or celebrities saying, look, here's the way to live, here's how I lived and became successful. What I love about positive psychology is that it's, it's a proven set of, of techniques that we can use pretty much immediately to improve how we feel and how we perform. So in the opening and about you, you're still a student. Absolutely, yeah. I love being a student. I don't, I don't like this guru idea. Uh, I like continuing to study. For the past two years, I've worked at a university and uh, worked very closely with researchers uh, because there's always uh, new ways, new ideas, new techniques of both, uh, both ideas and, and ways of using those ideas to improve your life. So like a lifelong education. Absolutely. I mean, for me, it's been since I was about 16 years old. I was the guy lying on my bed with my Desiderata on the wall, go placidly amid the noise and haste. And I had this um, book by Wayne Dyer called Your Erroneous Zones. So I've, I've been looking at how to improve my life and how to be a better, more effective people or person for a very long time. And it's something that um, I, I love doing, I love learning and I love teaching. And I think that anyone that stops trying to improve themselves really is doing themselves an injustice. Absolutely. I think if you stop it, I think ego gets in the way and sometimes you think, well, I'm good enough, big enough, bright enough, smart enough now to... I don't need any more learning. But I think if you keep thinking of yourself as a student, it keeps you humble enough to 
to be useful. Yeah, I do too. And look, I'm a constant learner. As you know, I'm always dabbling in learning something new. And, uh, you know, from writing my book, Aging Fearlessly, the last three or four years has been a continual education. And people often say to me, how do you keep doing that? But it does become very much a part of you that you become more curious and especially in the technological world that we now live in, there is so much more to learn. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I'd agree. It's interesting. You know, you, you, can Google, you can Google performance, you can Google wellness, you can Google positive psychology, and you can get hundreds of blogs and lots of different tips and techniques and, and ways to improve your life. But uh, it really is a matter of looking at a way you can sift through all that information and find things that you can use pretty much straight away to feel a lot better. Well, right now, you have chosen a song today called Great Southern Land by Ice House. Now, I know this song. Why did you choose it? I chose it for two reasons. Uh, one is because uh, one of the fundamental ideas in positive psychology is gratitude. And I think all of us here in Australia should be grateful for living in such a beautiful, safe uh, country. Plus, it just so happens, when I was growing up at school, uh, one of my best friends, David Walsh, lived the Pacific Parade in Manly. Sorry, Pacific Parade in D.Y., and next door to him was a guy called Ivor Davies, who, who started this band called Flowers, who became Ice House. So I've known this band for a long time, and this song, to me, is the quintessential Australian theme. That was probably around the days that a lot of bands were playing in the Antler. Yes. And a lot of people who listened to uh, Northern Beaches radio, especially the baby boomers, would have a very strong memory of the Antler, and, and the other one was, um, what was the one in Manly Vale? There was another pub in Manly Vale that had great bands every weekend. There was the Manly Vale Hotel. There's also mm. the Curl Curl Dancers once a month down at uh, Abbott Road in Curl Curl. There was the DY Hotel. There was a, very much a band scene then, which was, which was awesome when you were growing up and you could see bands like Ice House or Flowers. You could see bands like In Excess and just for a, a couple of dollars on the weekend. Here's a secret. I learnt to be a barmaid at DY Hotel in the public bar. Wow. So there you go. I worked for free for two days and then I was given the ticket. You can be let loose in the public bar. Just a bit of trivia. Welcome back. You're listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen on 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. Peter, welcome back. And can you just explain the difference between positive psychology and self-help books? That's a great question. I think a lot of us like going into bookstores and checking out the latest self-help books. The, the fundamental difference is that self-help is opinion and positive psychology has got an evidence base, which means positive psychology is a science, if you like, of helping individuals and organisations flourish, whereas self-help is a person's opinion about how that can happen. And the question I'd ask your listeners is, I'm sure they've read lots of self-help books, and ask themselves, well, I've read that book, but has my life really changed? I might have enjoyed it. I might have really thought there were some great ideas there. But how much did my life fundamentally change after I read that book? Whereas in Positive Psych, you'll find that when you get involved in it, your life will change pretty much straight away. So perhaps if they're reading a self-help book, what it may do is to encourage them to go and then deal with the things that they want to have help with in a more professional manner. 
Yes, it may do that. But most people, it fails. Um, and most people includes me. And most people includes me for about 20, 25 years. I've read every self-help book you can think of. And my bookcase has 70 or 80 of them there. And for many years, I read and read and read and nothing much changed. So it's not just the actual ideas. It's more a matter of how I take these ideas and change my behavior and change how I think and change how I feel. And that's the key piece. And what about, is it really about trying to make people happy or explain that side of things? Yeah, it's got a very bad name. The very early days of, of positive psychology, it was called happyology and there were conferences and there still are with things like happiness and their causes and people thought, well, this is all about happiness. And to a large extent it is. But when you think about happiness, happiness is really pleasure. And pleasure you can get from eating chocolate, having a glass of wine, having an instant gratification, which is which is nice. I nice. know those pleasures. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That you know, I don't want to. There's a, a brand that I love from a, a discount store. I'm talking chocolate. Yeah. And man, it does it for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's and I'm not against pleasure. I'm I'm all for I'm all for pleasure. You can think about it as pleasure. You can also think the next level up, which is about being fully engaged. You could be fully engaged in doing something you love, like it could be gardening, it could be playing cards, it could be, it could be writing or it could be watching, watching a film. What we're talking about here in positive psychology is really being having a sense of meaning in your life and having a sense of you fully flourishing, playing to your strengths and doing the best for yourself and also making a contribution to the, the wider world around you. So happiness, is it a first world problem? Uh, yes and no. A lot of people give uh, positive psych a bit of a caning because we do tend to hang out in the, in the Western world, and that's where it began in, in the US. However, there's lots of good work being done now in, in prisons, in, in charities, uh, and uh, also in, in third, world, uh, third world countries. The really interesting thing is that a lot of third world people are happier than we are. A lot of people think, oh, well, we're in the West, we must be happy, we're living in Sydney, we're living uh, in, on the northern beaches. But a lot of people with, in less advantageous circumstances with lower levels of income are actually happier than we are. And I can actually say I believe you there because sometimes I hear people who live in amazing places and have amazing lives with abundance of assets and finances and they just complain. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And it's interesting what a low level of income where the happiness threshold starts to change. And a lot of us think, oh, we need the big house, the big car, the beautiful partner, the beautiful, well-groomed children going to private schools, which is important. However, above a, a very low level of income, which is only around eighty or so thousand dollars a year, our happiness doesn't actually increase. There's more important things, which are things like gratitude. And often you'll find that people in the in the poorer countries, have more, more a sense of gratitude and more a sense of, of presence in their own existence. Well, you can imagine um, if, you're not, if your food isn't abundant that you would be really grateful yeah. when someone's giving you a bowl of rice. That's it. And, and gratitude is absolutely crucial. And I, I know a lot of people that I know that have, do have those wonderful homes, wonderful families, wonderful so-called lives. Their, their gratitude levels are very low. And one of the key things we teach in positive psychology is is that attitude of gratitude. And it's one of the fundamental things we, we talk about. Well, as you and I know, we know a lot of happy people. Would you agree? I'd agree. Yeah, I, would. I, I think I know a phenomenal... phenomenal <laughs> can I say that word? A phenomenal amount 
of a very lot of. <laughs> a lot of very happy people and I like to meet them in the morning because that's how I start my day. You know, they have great things to say. They greet people. They're interested in people. And they love looking at the nature that's around them. Yeah. It's interesting that there's two key things there. One of the most important pieces is this whole idea of relationship. And, and what we know intuitively and what positive psychology is teaching us is that the number one marker of, of genuine um, happiness is high-quality relationships with yourself and with others. And one of the things that you and I can enjoy with people in our bold and beautiful swimming community in Manly is that wonderful sense of community and relationship that we can, we can enjoy. And I think, you know, we're talking about one community of people, but there are so many communities out there if you search for them. I know people that are in communities of musicians and they're just amateurs and they're senior amateurs and they just go and play and they enter competitions and they do musical weekends away and just jamming amongst themselves and challenging themselves, learning new instruments, is another community. It doesn't have to be about sport. No. It can be about the things that you really love. Because I think that's the important bit. The, the important bit is the relationship. And, and whether it's art or sport or swimming or whatever, the scouting movement, whatever you might be involved in, it's, it's that sense of having those people to feel, to feel connected with. Interesting thing too, um, as we um, as we age fearlessly, that, like that. that women are a lot better at this than men, and um, I am very envious of the way women have higher quality relationships based on more honest exchange of, of of views and opinions and feelings. Men find that much more challenging, and that's where the activities become more important. Because for us guys, we need to do something like play golf, play football, swim. Then we can talk afterwards, almost in an ancillary way, whereas I think women are much better at that, at, at having that relationship, and that's absolutely fundamental to well-being. And I think if men are around women who have relationships like this with other women, then maybe they're learning as well how to do this. Yeah, they're learning, but we're very slow learners, us blokes. I hate to admit that, but we're very slow learners, and we a lot of, a lot of people from, from my vintage find that whole relationship piece very challenging. Mm. Well... Leading up um, to this next little song, True Blue. Yeah. You've chosen John Williamson's True Blue. Yeah. Another quintessential Australian song. Plus, when I listen to this song, um, Hey True Blue, Don't Say You're Gone, I'm talking to myself, I'm listening to myself, listening to my inner dialogue and not wanting myself to, to disappear for a smoker and be back later on to be there, be there present for myself, be present for my kids and be present and mine. Peter, I really, really love that song. Yes, so do I. It just brings out some good emotions, mm. huh? Very Australian. Awesome voice too. Yeah, and you were saying you've seen him play live. Seen him live, yeah, just down the road at uh, the President Hotel at Belrose a few years ago. Yeah, and yeah. see, you remember it, so it must have been great. I remember great. it well, I remember that song well. So we're talking about positive psychology and skills. So how do you teach people these skills? And that's a great question. I've been wrestling with that for 17 years, working, uh, working with people. I think there's a, a couple of key things. One is that it's not really uh, me teaching them. It's helping, helping them understand what they're capable of achieving and what they're capable of, of knowing. One of the first questions I ask people when I'm coaching them or in workshops is I say, why are you here? Uh, why are you in the coaching chair? Why are you in the workshop? And unless they can convince me of a good reason why they, they'd like to change something in their lives, I know it's not going to work. So 
I fire as many people as I, as I, as I engage because, as we said earlier, we all know and we can all Google hundreds and hundreds of techniques and ideas and thoughts on, on how to change or go to the book, bookshop and pick up the latest uh, book, but it's really that motivation, that reason, the reason why to make some change happen. For me, it's often about my kids. One of the reasons I exercise hard and look after myself is I've got a 10-year-old son and I want to be, I want to be happy and healthy and the best dad I can possibly be for him. One of the, I guess, the most successful or one of the most successful situations I can, I can think of that comes to mind. About three years ago, I was working with a senior executive in a bank and he was, I'd, in my, my phrase, very shut down. He was very addicted to the, the IT infrastructure that he was putting in place in the bank. He was going home late at night and, the, uh, and that was really measured by the last train he could get home. Mm. He had no relationship with his kids, no relationship with his wife, very work addicted, desperately unhappy. When I asked him that question, why are you here? He just started crying. And I said, so what do you want to do? What are you, what, what's, your, what's your dream? He said, oh, my dream is to, is to retire, which I can now on my super, and just run a caravan park on the south coast. Oh, what a dream. And a great dream. I looked at him, I thought, really, you? Like this sort of bespeckled, suited guy, very, very pale, very unhealthy. I'm thinking, I can't imagine him being in the outdoors running a caravan park. But sure enough, we worked for three or four months together. His boss engaged me to help him uh, get, the, get the, the pieces in place. And he left the coaching chair. And I, I was just wondering, I, I wonder whether it actually worked. Anyway, about a year later, I got a postcard from a caravan park on the south coast mm. from him. And he said, come on down. I said, and I said, look, I'm not really a camper. I have to admit. I mean, I know a lot of people are, but I'm not one of them. I'm not a camping sort of guy. But I, I took my kids, went down to the south coast. I, I found the address. I went to the, went to the counter of the caravan park and I asked for him. I said, oh, where's Richard? And he said, that'd be me. I didn't even recognise him. I mean, this is the guy I worked with for three months. He was, he was thinner. He was, he was happier. He was browner, obviously. He'd grown more hair. He was a completely different individual. And he looked at me, he had a tear in his eye, a tear in my eye, and I thought, wow, this is, this is the sort of change that's, uh, that really makes this sort of work worthwhile. And I think, yeah, exactly, you, you nailed it then. And you, you just, seeing a change in someone that was so positive and making a big effect on their life... And, you know, you can see these things outwardly because you didn't recognise him. I didn't recognise him. And the interesting thing, too, was that he reconnected with his daughters, reconnected with his wife, and through his love of the outdoors and, and camping, he, was, he created a beautiful environment for people, to, for people to join. So that was something that was really in him. And one of the reasons he was so unhappy, this is one of the things I, I truly believe, is that when you get off track, life taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, you're off track, and, and those taps get louder and louder and bigger and bigger until you eventually get back on track again. So often there's, there's very, very good uses of bad feelings, and often when I've got someone very unhappy or very stressed that I'm working with, that can be a good thing because we can use that unhappiness and stress as a way of moving them towards what they should really be doing in their lives. Yeah, it's amazing how the body has a way of telling us things through anxiety, through depression, through our weight, Yeah. Uh, all of those things, and really they're very telltale signs. There are. I believe that we've got, we've got a, a destiny in our DNA that's uh, and something we're designed to do, um, strengths and virtues and contributions we're designed to make. And the closer we are to, to delivering on those contributions and on those strengths, the happier and better we feel. And when we don't feel happy, it's, often a, it's not always but often a sign to say, you know what, 
you're off track and that's where I love using some of these positive psychology tools to help people get back on track again. Yeah, I was sitting thinking just the other day about life and what makes me happy and I think it's doing what you really, really enjoy and that can be, yes, I have a full-time job and I do enjoy that and, yes, I have my passion and I really enjoy that and I really enjoy my sport and my swimming and I enjoy my downtime. But they do say in your life that there's different areas like relationships and, you know, your health. So all of those things work and they all feed off each other. And if one of them isn't working, then it can cause unhappiness. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think as, as we get older, those sort of decisions become a lot more important, uh, the health decisions, the relationship decisions. I think when you're younger, you get a, you get a couple of extra chances at life. You, you get more chances to make mistakes but as, as you age. Um, I think you've got less opportunities to to waste relationships or waste time or, or waste effort. Mm. So that's an important piece for us all. And people should never fear um, addressing these issues because, you know, if you're fearing things, and you know, you, you've got to open up and address these things to live a happy life. Would you agree? I'd agree. And a lot of the clients I work with are very are very stressed and are fearful. And the reason I don't change or they don't, they don't take that step, is that they are genuinely afraid. And even the guys are scared that they won't admit it. They call it stress, but fundamentally it's fear. Mm-hmm. And often what we need to do is to look at what that, what that fear is telling us, what it's communicating to us. And as Susan Jeffers wrote in Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, you've got to, you've got to embrace that fear and look at what is, it, what is it a signal to do or not to do. Can I tell you about a fear I had, especially when I started swimming? You know, it's pretty deep out there. Yeah. And I, I was petrified. I used to make sure I had about 10 people escorting me across there, you know, all around me because I used to figure if there was a Noah out there, it was going to grab them and not me. And as I've become more confident with swimming and with my swimming, those fears, you know, it helps them go away when you're addressing your fears and doing things. And I'm, I'm, it can happen. There might yeah. be a shark out there, but you become more confident in what you're doing that your swimming ability, that even in rough seas, going through the surf, you, you sort of learn to trust yourself, yeah? You learn to trust yourself. I think you learn to, to, to live in a more vulnerable space. And whether it's you're talking about relationships, romantic relationships or, or children or, or friends or swimming in, in any time of the year, there's a sense of vulnerability that keeps you open and aware and makes you much more interesting to connect with. If we're all, if we never do what we fear, and we're never vulnerable, we're pretty boring, unhappy, unadventurous type folks. Wrapped in cotton wool. Wrapped in cotton wool. So the next question, and I don't want you to answer this, but we're going to come back and find out who positive psychology is for. Is it for everyone? But song, because everybody loves a good song, and you've made some great choices. Oh, and this is one of my favourites. <laughs> Another one. Yes. John Farnham, what's the song? You're the voice. Yeah. You're the voice. And the reason I chose this is that it's, we've got to think about that inner voice that is, that is in all of us, that, that really is what we are designed to listen to. And if we allow ourselves enough peace and allow ourselves enough mindful space in our lives, we can listen to that voice and, and really go forward and, and be happy. So John Farnham. You're the voice. You're the voice. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station.
What can I say about that song, Peter, other than he's a genius? He's a genius. He's a genius. Beautiful words, beautifully delivered. From Sadie, the cleaning lady. Yeah, my God, yeah. Do you remember he, that? He was too, yeah. And we used to, I used to sing it, Sadie. The, you the don't want cleaning me to, lady. You don't want me to do anymore no, because no. they'll just turn their radios off. <laughs> right then, you know, that'll be the end of it. Um, so we're back for a few more minutes of chat and we were talking about positive psychology. So how do you teach this? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. That's something that I've been working on, obviously, for, for quite a while and... I've, I've come across a technique that really works for the people that, uh, that I coach and it's really based on letters. Uh, it's, it's based on writing letters and it's, mm-hmm. it, it comes from, again, I mentioned earlier I was the guy with the Desterada on the wall and the You're Running Your Own books uh, on, the, on the desk and at that time I was really struggling, like many young teen men do, with their dads. I was really struggling living under his household and... Uh, we, we used to argue a lot. I moved out when I was 18 years old. I moved from, um, from Brookvale into Manly. And uh, a couple of years later, when I was about 20, I wrote him a letter. I wrote my father a letter just saying how much I appreciated him as a dad and how much, how much I loved him and how much I, I genuinely wanted our relationship to, to, to improve. And it improved a little uh, over time, um, but it, I, I didn't know whether the letter worked or not. And then when he died, when he was 63, of a massive heart attack, my sister had the job of going through his belongings. And, of course, in his wallet, there's this old, almost fallen-apart piece of paper, which was the letter I'd written him probably 40-odd years earlier. It was something that was with him every day of his life. And that, that made me realise this letter thing might work. And what I, what I, how I teach this is I get people to write letters about how they are that pick an area of their lives, they write a letter about what's happening in that area of their lives they'd like to change, why they want to change it, and uh, that's the beginning of the, of the coaching process. See, for a, a young man, of, and I'm going to say young man because you are at 20, to think of writing their dad a letter is very unusual and a very brave move for you. And it brought tears to my eyes because... I think that if it's, it was obviously very genuine that you wanted to touch base yeah. with your dad and, and provoke something with him to tell him more about how I felt, how you felt. Yeah, I, I, I loved him. I, I really loved him. And it's, it's that silly father-son thing that happens in the teens. Often, I'm sure a lot of your listeners will, can recognise this in, in, their, in their families. And I think a, a letter is also a very intimate communication device. There's something we don't do as much as, as we should. And one of the things I encourage people I work with is to write a letter to themselves about genuinely, honestly, how they're feeling about a part of their life they'd like to change, whether that's their relationships, whether it's their health, whether it's, whether it's their career. And we, we use that honest assessment of the present, if you like. Um, you know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we use that as our starting point um, of the program. I want to do this program. It's, it's awesome. And those letters, people write them, we, we journal them, and I still journal every day. I write, dear mate, how are you going? Whether it's a short, a short journal or a, or a long one, and I encourage people to journal. And one of the reasons journaling works is that it reconnects you with yourself and it reconnects you with that subconscious voice, like we just heard from John Farnham, that is really the, the one you need to listen to. Despite all this evidence on positive psych, if you listen to yourself and you, you listen to that 
that quiet voice that knows what your destiny is, that's the beginning of the change process. Mm. It's, it's so interesting. So is positive psychology for everybody? It is. It is. It is. I thought you were going to say no. <laughs> no. It's, it, it is. It's interesting. I've had the, the great pleasure over the past couple of years of working with children in schools and there's a whole body of positive psychology called positive education and we've been working with, um, with kids, primary school kids, secondary school kids, helping them with, with some, of these, uh, some of these pieces as life skills. And some of the really outstanding schools are taking these, these programs in place. So it's for children. It's for, it's for adults. It's for us that are ageing fearlessly. Well, I was going to say, are you ever too old for this? No, you're never, you're never too old. Uh, it's, uh, I've, I'm aware of programs that work in, work in prisons, uh, work in un- underdeveloped countries. So it is, there's something in this for everyone. There literally is. I hate to use that phrase, but there's something in this for everyone that's genuinely interested in improving their well-being. I would be very interested to read some of the letters in the prisons. I mean, you could make a fantastic story out of some of these, but... And that's that's happened already, Karen. Has that's it? happened already. Where? There's an, an awesome uh, an awesome program that took place in the Donaldson Correctional Facility uh, in the US, where uh, they introduced a meditation program into the into the prison. And these were prisoners these were prisoners that were on death row. And uh, one of the one of the prisoners, Grady, if I can share his story um, with you, absolutely. When he was about seven years old, uh, this is the, the prisoner Grady. Um, his mum took him and his, his little brother and said, I'm taking you for a drive. And this is a sad story, listeners, if you, so I'll, I'll brace you for the sad story. He, she took him and his uh, grady and his younger brother for a drive and actually abandoned them in a house. And be, just before she left Grady um, and his little brother, she said to him, look after your brother, look after your, your little guy. And had no food, they, they were just left with nothing in this, in this abandoned house. And Grady got some, uh, found some sparrows and some dead birds to feed his brother, collected some rain in a, in a hubcap. And uh, unfortunately, his little brother died. And Grady hated himself for his brother dying. And not long after that, the, the police found him uh, in this abandoned home. And he was so angry at allowing his brother to die. He went on a life of crime, ended up um, being involved in, a, in a, a, um, a crime, which meant he was on death row. And he was on death row for 17 or 18 years until this intervention came in, uh, in meditation. And the woman that, uh, that, that came across them and taught them how to meditate, um, she, she left the prison and afterwards the prisoners wrote letters to her when you talk about letters. And it's called Letters from the Dharma Brothers. Mm-hmm. Why don't you Google this? Google that. It's Dharma a great... as in D-A-R-M-A? D-H-A-R-M-A. Dharma oh. as in the Buddhist Dharma. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a letter from the Dharma Brothers. Um, and it, it's letters from, from the prisoners to the woman that, run, uh, that ran this program. And one final thought on this. He said to her in the letter he wrote to, to Jenny, the woman that ran this program, uh, he said, for the first time ever, I could finally forgive myself for my little brother dying. So this is a guy that had 30 years of, of, of grief and a very simple intervention, a very simple but powerful meditation intervention fundamentally changed his life and helped him find peace. Very, very powerful. Yeah. On that note, we 
do need to, you know, because that was a sad story, <laughs> but, you know, positive but, outcome but that he okay. found. Yeah. yeah, there's always sort sad songs. Um, Kelly Clarkson? Yeah. Do you know what the song is? I do, I do, I do, I do. This is, this is all about um, uh, taking, uh, taking, uh, taking control of your life. Okay. Welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Aging Fearlessly. Kelly Clarkson's pretty amazing for um, winning a competition. Was it... Was it the X Factor, or one of those, yeah. or, or Idol. I think it was. I think it was X Factor. But what I what I love about that's probably both wrong. <laughs> probably both wrong. I'm not a big X Factor or Idol uh, Idol uh, Idol fan. But the reason the reason I chose that song is that uh, it's it's not so much what doesn't kill you make you stronger, but it's often when we set ourselves goals, whether we achieve them or not, it's 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 that journey and that learning and that realization that we are capable of much more than what we may have thought we were that really makes those, um, those endeavours and those adventures worthwhile. Yeah, and I'm sure that song has empowered many men and women along the way. Yeah. So I know I've heard it, it's been played a lot, but it's a song that's a great listen. Mm. If we did just one thing to improve our lives, what would that be? Well, can I have two? Oh, no, <laughs> don't make my life difficult. I'll have- I'll have, well, if, if it's just if it's just one, no, it, you can have two. If if it's if it's just, you have to pay me though. It's it's one. I'd say one thing and one technique. The one the one thing or the one one key thought would be gratitude, and we discussed this uh, briefly uh, earlier. And it's it's gratitude for for every breath, for every step, for every relationship, for every great thing that's happened in our lives. Because we are to some extent in a in a capitalist world, which is teaching us that we need that. New bag, new clothes, new holiday, new car, new whatever it is. Keep up with the Joneses. Keep up with the Joneses. And that is the complete opposite of how we, we do need to think, which is to be absolutely grateful for every possible thing we've had in our lives. Can I just throw something in there? It's stop comparing yourself to others. Yeah. You know, when you start comparing, you become miserably unhappy. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's how I find it. I go, oh, why haven't I got as much as they have? Why do I live in a unit and they live in a big house? And I think, hey, Karen, you made life choices. They made life choices. Yeah, and if, if you look at the, the, the recent census, the Australian census, and look at where we're placed globally, we are in the top 2 or 3% in the world. So if we're comparing ourselves, compare yourself to the other 97% of the world that we are ahead of. But that gets uh, ego involved. It's just gratitude for your own life, your own breath, your own existence. Do you existence. know something about myself? Um, many, many years ago, I worked in the film industry working with young children on film sets. And I worked for quite some time in Poland. <clears throat> and I went to some houses that, uh, you know, crew members I was working with. And, do you know, I walked into a room, uh, into a house, a unit. There was four people, two children, two adults. Their lounge room was also the bedroom for the adults, the two parents. So they had a, a, a double bed and that was what they sat on the lounge, all four. Oh, that's what they sat on to watch TV, if they had a TV. There was one other bed, well, there was one bedroom 
um, which was the kids' bedroom, and the two beds folded down from the wall and got pushed up again at night. There was a tiny bathroom with a toilet and a shower, and what I would say the size of my laundry was their kitchen. Mm. And that was their home. Yeah. And they were blissfully happy. Well, well, they looked happy. They seemed happy. They didn't know any different. The first time I went there was 1992, and the last time I was there was 1996. And things had changed a lot, but they didn't know. In the days of solidarity, you know, earlier, and being a free market economy, that's what, what, that, that's what they knew. Mm. That's one of the wonderful things you learn when you travel. I had the good fortune to live in Bataan, and the, the kingdom of Bataan has a, a gross happiness index, and they're very poor uh, Buddhist people living in a very farming, uh, agricultural environment, and they're some of the happiest people in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Um, we're gonna, I'm just going to speed this up because there's things I want to talk about, and we are running out of time. So sure. is this a one-size-fits-all? Uh, one no, it's not. No, it's not. There are some fundamental things that work for all of us, and uh, that's some of the techniques we've talked about already, like, uh, like journaling, like gratitude uh, and mindfulness. And uh, what I've learned uh, over many years of teaching this is that there are some fundamentals that we can all learn from, but the rest is, is, is highly adaptive and highly tailored. And one of the beautiful things about positive psychology is there's literally hundreds of tools to, to choose from and, and make it work for you. So the future of positive psychology? I think as we, as us regular folks, like on the northern beaches uh, of Sydney, become more aware of just how accessible and, and practical it is, I think we'll find that it's, uh, it's already part of school curriculums, it's part of, of healthcare in, in hospitals and in, in not-for-profit organisations. I think we'll find a lot of these tools and techniques will become part of everyday life. Mm. So the future of positive psychology? I think... As we, as us regular folks, like on the northern beaches uh, of Sydney, become more aware of just how accessible and, and practical it is, I think we'll find that it's, uh, it's already part of school curriculums, it's part of, of healthcare in, in hospitals and in, in not-for-profit organisations. I think we'll find a lot of these tools and techniques will become part of everyday life. Mm. You mentioned the Dalai Lama and a quote. When asked what the meaning of life, the Dalai Lama replied, to be happy and useful. Yeah, it's interesting because what the Dalai Lama was doing, unbeknownst to him, was summarising positive psychology because what we are fundamentally saying in this approach is to be happy in yourself in terms of playing to your own tune, understanding what your strengths are, what makes you feel great, making the contribution that you're designed to make and be useful for others because what we find in, in the research is that the more that you live for others and the more that making a contribution is important to you, the happier you're going to be. So if you can think of one summary of this, uh, of this talk we've had today, it would be be happy and useful, happy in yourself and useful to others. Perfect. Look, we really have just about run out of time and I wanted to ask you to share something about yourself is there something you'd like to share about yourself yeah. with the listeners? There's one thing I haven't mentioned so far, Karen, and that is that uh, in 2010 I was, I was a, a work-addicted corporate warrior 
traveling the world, teaching, teaching these pieces. And I ignored my health, which I, I shouldn't have, and was in the very good care of the people at Manly Hospital up on, up on the hill. I had a, a condition called severe epiglottitis, which meant the little flap that closes my windpipe over swelled up and was literally choking me. I almost died. Uh, I was placed in an induced coma and uh, I thought I died. I thought I'd, I'd taken my last breath. And the, the main thing I was thinking about as I took that last breath was I can't die yet because I need to be a dad, dad to my son and a dad to my daughter. And by a strange mix of of circumstances, the first person um, I saw from my family when I came out of that coma was my was my daughter Belle, and uh, it it just made me realise that we are we are stronger than we can possibly imagine we are, and that life is a lot more magnificent than we can ever imagine. And and that's a great story, and a lot of people have stories like that that were just the one thing that triggered them to living a different life. That's and right. sometimes, I think you said it earlier, sometimes we need an episode of something to change us. Sometimes a tap on the shoulder, sometimes a ah, smack at the face. and it, it gets bigger and bigger until, I mean, even me knowing all this, I was still, I still did a coma to really turn me around. Yeah. Well, Peter, I really want to say today, it's been inspirational talking to you and I'm learning so much about positive psychology and I hope that our listeners uh, took something away from this as well. And is there a way, if people want to find out more, do you have a Facebook page? or? I, uh, if you'd like to contact me, just um, shoot me an email. It's probably the best thing to do. It's, can I give you my yeah, email yeah, address? You can it's, give it. it's Peter Anthony, uh, as, as you'd expect it to be spelt, um, at thrive, uh, T-H-R-I-I-V-E. Um, .net.au because I'm all about thriving uh, individuals and, and thriving communities. So shoot me a note, send me an email if there's anything you'd like to know more about, any references I've made, books I've mentioned, movies, shoot me a note and I'm happy to respond. Did someone not teach you how to spell thrive? <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 two, the two little eyes in, in, my, in my logo, the two little eyes in Thrive are, are two people talking to each other because the, the, the fundamentals of thriving are all about relationships. So before we go, um, I'd also like to ask listeners, if you have someone or know of someone in the Northern Beaches who has a wonderful story that I could share with them on Northern Beaches Radio, you can contact me on my Facebook page. I have two, the Ageing Fearlessly Facebook page, or just contact me on Karen Sander and uh, private message me and send me some details and, you know, I can actually talk to these people and and see if, you know, I can get them up here to tell a great story. Um, She's very easy to talk to, guys. Oh, you know, yeah, I, um, you know, I've paid him to say that. <laughs> so right now we have completely and utterly run out of time, but I will be back next week on Friday at 1pm on the Ageing Fearlessly program. And I would like to close with a song written by, you'll hear this song every week, my good friend Nick Howard, who yeah. Peter knows well. He's another swimmer, very talented, and he wrote this song just for you guys. So please enjoy the song and come back and join us another time. Bye. You've been listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. For all the listeners, here's a special song written by a good friend of mine, Nick Howard. So bye for now. Have a great week. And remember, aging is inevitable 
Growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in your eye. It's not all nine to five. It's a wonderful life. Let's go and climb mountains high. Swim across oceans wide. This treasure that you've got to find, baby, don't be shy. Let's go and take that ride. Taste the sweet and the spice, everything else. Let your heart be alive, baby, just let your heart come alive, honey. Let your heart. 